Welcome to my party, we're just getting started A life is a dream or a nightmare scarring Hand me a drink cause I think I'm going all in Hey everybody, welcome back to the Red, Orange, and Blue podcast I am your host as always, the Mexanadian And we have got another hockey-filled show for you guys today Because they are the only worthwhile team for Detroit sports that is currently playing and worth talking about because the Pistons aren't worth talking about still. So, although they did win a game, which was okay, but it's whatever at this point. They're nothing real, really. Like, they've got three good players, and that's it. So, but this is going to be a pretty much all hockey episode uh, because I'm not watching the Super Bowl. I couldn't care less about the Super Bowl this year. It's a matchup between someone a team that nobody cares about and a team that nobody wants to win so there's no incentive for me to watch it at all I don't give a fuck about Taylor Swift I don't give a fuck that Usher is playing in the Super Bowl halftime is playing the Super Bowl halftime show I don't care about any of that and from what I'm seeing on Twitter all of the ads pretty much fucking suck so it's just going to be hockey for today, and rightfully so, because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't cover last time because I ran out of time, but also uh, a lot of stuff that has happened this week. So we're going to get into, right away, the Red Wings versus Canucks game, and boy, what a, this was a tale of three games, essentially. The first period was pretty much all Red Wings. Lucas Raymond, 40 seconds in, has a beautiful goal where he just cooks the Vancouver defenseman, whose name I can't remember for the life of me, but just straight up cooks the dude, goes around to Smith, and it's one nothing Detroit coming out of the first. Um, And then the second period came, the dreaded second period. And I don't know, I'm going to talk about this for a second. I don't know what is wrong with the Red Wings in the second period, but oh boy, are they bad. It's like they play the first period, and they lose, like, they use all of their energy in the first period to get some sort of lead, and then they go into the second period just dead-watered, confused, like a lost child in a Walmart looking for their mommy, but their mommy already left the store because she's a horrible mom and left you in the store. So, I'm... I, I don't know what the cause is, and I don't know if it's a coaching thing or I if it's just a overall team thing. So that is something that's got to be fixed. I think I talked about this in the last episode as well. So it's definitely something that's got to be fixed. And it's definitely something that's got to be fixed fast. Because if you pull that stuff in the playoffs, then you're not going to win in the playoffs. Because, yes, Detroit has the... They're in, like, the top five, I think, for most third-period comebacks. And they... That's not going to happen in the playoffs. So they have to find some way, whether it's doing something at the deadline, which I don't think they will, um, or just different strategies. I don't know, but if you're not go- if you're only gonna play forty minutes of a game, and that's the first and third period in the playoffs, you're not making it out of the first round. So after the Raymond goal and the dreaded second period came along, Raymond got bulldozed by Zadorov, and it was not a clean hit. Um, it definitely was a high hit. Whether it was an intentional high hit or not, I don't know. I don't think it was because Zadorov is taller than Raymond, but that's not an excuse because I've seen a lot of people, a lot of uh, Vancouver fans talking about this, saying Zaitsev, Zeit- Jesus Christ, 
Wrong Z name. Zadorov is like six foot three or some shit like that, and Raymond's five ten, five eleven. There, how are you not supposed to hit him high? And my answer to that is, then don't hit him. Like, if your only option is to open ice hit a guy high, then you're you're you don't hit them. You go for the puck and you do something else. But your only, if your only option is to hit them high, whether it's a height difference, whether it's an angle difference, whether it's just the only option, then you don't hit them. You figure something else out. Because while Bettman refuses, and I'm pretty sure still to this day refuses, to acknowledge that there is a correlation between CEE and hockey, CTE and hockey, the, uh, there is a very big correlation, and that's been proven more and more often and several times over. So it's definitely, and I mean, Zdorov got a five minute in game misconduct and uh, suspended for two games, I believe, which is fair. Uh, it wasn't nearly as bad as the Gallagher hit, which should have been more than five games, in my opinion. But yeah, that was that. It was a bad hit. Thankfully, Raymond came back and he had a fire up his ass the rest of the game. But coming out of that, they had a five. The Red Wings had a five minute power play, which nothing fucking happened. I don't think they registered a single shot on goal in the full five minutes. But then they get another chance because Heronik takes a full on baseball swing to try and knock the puck out of the air and ends up batting Larkin in the face. Like I think it hit him in his visor. But, yeah, that was not cool. And you could tell Heronik didn't mean to do it. He checked on Larkin right away and stuff like that. But they got another two minutes. They essentially had seven minutes straight of power play time, and they did not do a fucking thing on it. It almost looked like they didn't care enough about the power play. Not like they didn't care in a sense that we don't want to score. They didn't care in a sense that... There was no urgency to score. There was no reason for them to have to rush to get offense going. They're like, oh, we got five, seven minutes power play time. We've got our time. We can take our time, bite our time, wait for the perfect shot. No. And the biggest thing, and we'll get into it uh, with the next goal, because the I mean, the second period was all Vancouver, essentially, uh, except for the even, even during, those, during those seven minutes of fucking power play time. They almost had half the period on the power play and didn't do shit on it. Um, but Hoaglander scored, Heronik scored uh, after his penalty, and that's another thing. This is two games in a row where the power the power play doesn't acknowledge the fact that there's somebody in the penalty box about to come out. It's happened two times in two games in a row, and both have resulted in a goal. The last one was Brady Kachuk. This time it was Philip Heronik. When the goalie slamming his stick on the ice, that like they do it means that there is a player behind you and that means you do not be aggressive you're not supposed to be aggressive in the offensive zone unless you know you can hold the puck and unfortunately they cannot hold the puck and guess what Hirona comes out of the box breakaway beats lion it's a 2-1 game and then Pedersen from Hirona and Suter Hirona had a hand in all three of Vancouver's goals by the way um but Petters, uh, Elias Pettersson from Suter and Heronik, they get they go up three to one, and this is where the Detroit Red Wings thrive at this point, essentially, because they go into the third period and it's like, all right, well, they definitely need something to happen here, and that's something 
is Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane comes back after missing, like, what is it, two, what was it, two weeks? Something like that, uh, with a, an injury, not his hip. He comes back, and he puts this team on his back, essentially. He's the only one that's been able to get clean zone entries in any of the power plays. He's the only one that's been able to make any scoring chances happen. The few scoring chances that the Red Wings got in the third, in the second period were because of Patrick Kane, essentially, and he did no different on this one. Daniel Sprong scored from a beautiful Patrick Kane backhand from behind the net. Five-hole shot. Daniel Sprong gets the power play goal. And then, like, five minutes after that, Rasmussen deflects, deflects a Wallman shot. And it's all of a sudden a tie game. They go to overtime where the 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 gritty happens. This is... Wallman is so fucking fun to watch at any point, whether it's in-game, off the ice, at practice, any time. He is such a fun person. He seems like such a fun guy to be around. He is such a vibes guy. And I believe it was Ilias Pedersen. Uh, it was a fairly weak cross-check, but a cross-check nonetheless. Wallman gets the penalty shot, and he makes no mistake, buries it low glove, hits the gritty afterwards on kids' day. Boy, was it beautiful, and... Seeing Canucks and Penguins fans fucking implode from even not even just Penguins fans, there were Sens fans that were imploding about it too, which we'll get into that. But watching the teams that Detroit has a rivalry with right now just straight up fucking implode um, about Wallman hitting the gritty on Twitter was so fucking fun. And I was just so happy I got to witness it. Like, I wish I could have been there, but watching it on TV was almost as good. Not just as good, but almost as good. But, boy, is he such a fun guy, and he's definitely a big reason, in my opinion, why this team doesn't have any quit in them. Because, like, personally, if you ask me, the vibe, like, Vibes guys are... I don't think it's really a hot take, but vibes guys are what make team make or break teams. Because if you have a whole room of nothing but John Tavares's or whoever another serious person is in the locker rooms, I don't know. John Tavares is just the most boring person I've ever seen in my life. If you have a locker room full of John Tavares's, then you're no one's going to enjoy it. It's going to feel like a nine to five job, and it's just going to be. A another day where you go out, play the sport, leave. That is all it's going to be. And having guys like Wallman, like Fisher, like even Hull, having those guys in the locker room definitely boosts morale. It definitely makes people makes your team feel like it's not hopeless. And that is one of the biggest things Wallman brings. And a lot of people after this rightfully so we're bringing up the trade for that with him from St. Louis how we got him and it was Nick Letty and Luke Witowski if i remember his name correctly for Wallman Sunkvist and a uh, second round pick and i mean it's obvious Detroit won that trade but it's uh, cuz at he was named first star i believe and he when he was you know throwing the shirt into the crowd and stuff like that. He came back and he did the jersey pull, and you could tell that this man loves Detroit so much. And Detroit loves him because 
think about it. He came from St. Louis where he was the seventh, eighth D-man on their blue line. He gets traded to Detroit, sits out for the first half of the season we have him uh, due to injury, comes in, plays third third pairing minutes, injuries happen, Wallman and Wallman's playing good enough. He get Lalonde gives him the Lalonde gives him the ability to prove himself and gives him the top line minutes that he at this point we know deserves and he makes the most of it. He gets put on that top line last season and him and Cider just dominate everybody. And granted this season they had a bit of a rough start, but They've gotten back into the groove, and it is so obvious that these two have such great chemistry together. And it's I just I just love the way that the blue line is shaping up so far. Um, and I love that Wallman he clearly enjoys being here. So that was more or less the game from uh, Vancouver. The Vancouver game. Uh, Detroit's upcoming schedule isn't necessarily what I would call an easy one because they go on a bit of a West Coast swing here, a bit of a West Coast road trip. On Tuesday the 13th, they play Edmonton at 9 p.m. Then Thursday, they play Vancouver at 10 p.m., which is not cool. Uh, Saturday, Calgary at 4 p.m., also not very cool, but I can live with it. And then the 19th, that Monday, uh, the week after, is at 3.30 p.m., weird-ass start time, they play Seattle. So it's not a difficult, I mean, it's going to be a difficult road trip, obviously, because these four teams aren't the same four teams that Detroit played last season. Because if you remember last season, when Detroit went on their east, uh, their west coast road trip, they went when they got to Canada... They beat Edmonton pretty handedly. They dummied Vancouver with six goals in both of their games, I believe. Uh, Calgary wasn't much of a challenge, and uh, Seattle was Seattle's been a thorn in their side, Detroit side for since they came into the league. So that'll be fun to watch. Um, realistically, I can. I mean, Detroit has competed at the top tier with a lot of these teams for the for the entirety of 2024 so far. So I can see them, they can beat Vancouver, we've seen that. They can beat Calgary. Uh, Seattle continues to be a thorn on their side, but if Detroit can keep their scoring up, then if Detroit gets their scoring up and plays solid defensively, I believe they win that. Um, Edmonton will likely be the toughest opponent, which is odd to say, but Edmonton's pissed right now. They lost their win streak against Vegas, and then they come back, win a game against Anaheim, and then get shut out by L.A., last night so it's very obvious that this Edmonton team is pissed with how they're coming out of that win streak and yeah so it's going to be a fun game regardless I believe um and another big thing is does Huso get a start in any of these games because you got to imagine Huso is back and if he's back to form which it looks like he may be from his AHL uh stint that one game he may be back to form and if he is, where do you start him in any of these games? Do you start him against? Do you give him a sh- do you give him a shot and start him against uh, Vancouver or in Edmonton, or do you play it a bit safe and start him against Calgary or Seattle? Personally, I think you start him against Calgary because if Calgary keeps playing like they are now, it's going to be a decent challenge for him, but not too hard of a challenge because it's still Calgary in the end of the day. Um, but 
Yeah, that's Detroit's upcoming schedule. They are still in the second wild card spot, but they are tied with Toronto with sixty points each. Uh, both are one or po- yeah, one point behind uh, Tampa Bay. But points percentage wise, they do beat out Tampa Bay in that aspect. So Tampa Bay has uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay has uh, had a few struggles. They did win their last one, but. They are definitely not looking like the team they were going into the All-Star break. So I think that Detroit's got a solid chance of uh, jumping them. And if they can do that, that'll be fantastic. Uh, If Detroit can secure a seeded playoff spot, then that would just work out for everybody. Uh, But as of right now, like I said, they are in the second wildcard spot tied with Toronto. But Toronto's got a game in hand. Um... And looking at everybody that's behind them, the Islanders have 56 points, Devils 44, uh, then New Jersey and Washington are both with 44 points, Pittsburgh with 53, then the teams that likely aren't going to make the playoffs, Montreal, Buffalo, Ottawa, and Columbus, they're all 50 and below. So they are in a good spot. I believe that because if the Islanders pick up like they like they look like they are, um, there's a solid chance that they will jump Philly first. Uh, although you can't really rely on that because Philly's Philly's won their last three, so it's it, it's I mean it's a it's a uh, dunk dome in the East right now. Everybody knew that going in. Although half most of these teams, I don't think anybody expected to be in this. Oh, by most I mean Detroit and Philly. Nobody expected them to be in this Thunderdome. Everybody expected it to be. You know, Boston, Florida, Tampa, New York, Carolina, New Jersey, and then battling for the wild card, the Islanders, the Penguins, Buffalo, Ottawa. You know, everybody expected those teams to be in the Thunderdome. And people expected Detroit to to be right there with them. But, you know, the whole, everybody, all Buffalo and Ottawa are miles ahead of Detroit in their rebuild, stuff like that. It's whatever. they've We've proved them wrong so many times this year already. So... Yeah, tough schedule coming up. Tough East Coast Canadian swing. West Coast Canadian swing, my bad. And yeah, so with that, we're going to get into a bit early here because it's going to jump into our next topic pretty decently. Our prospect report. And our prospect report this week is on Carter Mazur. You guys voted on Twitter. If you guys would like to vote in these polls, you can visit, uh, you can go to at R-O-R-B pod, or just look up the Red, Orange, or Blue podcast on Twitter. I post these polls on uh, Thursday or Friday. I put up four prospects that I haven't talked about, and uh, you guys vote on who you decided for me to talk about. And this one today, this week, was Carter Mazur. Carter Mazur, 21-year-old, 6 feet tall, plays the left wing. He was drafted by Detroit in the third round, 200, uh, or 200, Jesus Christ, it's like the seventh round, 70th overall, my bad. Um, and he's playing fantastically. Uh, he had, a, obviously, a really good uh, stint over at Denver, which I'm pretty sure is where he played. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, Denver. Um, and that got him a contract with Detroit. So he has currently 11 goals, 11 assists, 22 points. He is on pace for 20 goals, 20 points, 40, uh, 20 goals, 20 assists, 40 points. My bad. So a, a little bit above half a point per game. And he has, from what I've seen, 
he has definitely been stepping up his goon game, I guess, his pest game. Because he's done interviews all the time where, you know, everybody's comparing him to Tyler Bertuzzi and, you know, whatnot. But he said in interviews many times that he wants to be his own self. And I believe he said that he looks like he like he looks up to guys like Marshan and he wants to be like them. Which is cool. If we get our own Brad Marshan, that'd be dope. Um but this kid looks like he could potentially be a he's a good he looks like a dark horse candidate to make the team out of camp next season. Now there's a very good potential that there's still a very big log jam on the team. Um it all depends on who Eisman decides to sign and let go. If what I want to have happen happens, then there should be at least one spot open for a prospect to come up. And odds are that would be Berggren if he's, I mean, that is if he's still with the team. There are still trade talks about him and stuff like that. But if uh, it's not Berggren, I could see Carter Mazur slipping right into that. Because as it stands right now, the most ready prospects Detroit has, not counting Berggren. Because I don't count Berggren as a, prog- as a uh, prospect anymore. He played like 60 games last season. So I definitely don't count him as a prospect, but as far as prospects go, I believe Carter Mazur, out of all of the forwards, looks like he's poised to be the best one to make the jump so far. Um, obviously, we're not counting defense because defense, Edvinson, and then Johansson are the two best ones to make the jump next. But as far as forwards go, Mazur looks like he could be the best one to make the jump, at least as far as Grand Rapids go, because we're not counting Danielson or Emmett Finney. Emmett Finney, I want to do a, I'm, uh, it's playing fantastically. He's not the subject of this though. So all in all, it's, he's going to be a guy where he has to hit in the NHL. Um, And if he doesn't, it could spell a bit more trouble for the rebuild. Um, but I do believe from what I've seen and how he plays, he, as long as he can put on a bit more NHL muscle, then he could 100%, I believe, slot into the lineup, be the goon we need who can also score, not goon, but be the pest, be the pest we need, but who can also score 20 goals a season. Like, I don't think Carter Mazur is going to be a top six guy. Essentially, I think he's going to be a middle six guy at best. But if he can be the goon, a goon that score not a goon, not a goon. He doesn't fight, as far as I know. Um, but if he can be a pest that scores twenty, twenty five goals a season, hell yeah, all day, every day, sign this man. Like it's he's going to be a fun player to watch, and I believe he's going to be a fan favorite for the fans when he eventually does make the jump. Um, but with that being said. We're going to jump into uh, something a bit different. We're going to jump into some Grand Rapids Griffins news because their win streak of seven just ended uh, the other night again with a four to three loss, I believe it was, against the Manitoba Moose in the shootout. And this Grand Rapids Griffins team has a whole, whole different aura about them in 2024. Like you look back at 2023 when their season started. Yeah, they looked decent, but this run that they've had on since the new year has been fantastic. It has, they have looked like the Grand Rapids Griffins of old, like the 2013 team that won the Memorial Cup, the 
that oh, Grand Rapids Griffins team that can make the run. And if they can squeak their way into the playoffs and get guys like Berger Edvinson, Casper, Mazer, Johansson, get those guys some for some professional playoff experience. Oh, that's going to be fantastic for the Red Wings because then you're going in, you've got several guys that have played in a, let's face it, the AHL, obviously not as high caliber as the NHL, but everybody in the AHL has the talent to play in the NHL. They wouldn't be in the AHL otherwise. So they, it's almost, it'll almost be the same exact amount of competition. Not exactly, obviously, but it'll be still professional playoff hockey that will only help their experience and help them grow as players. Um, and speaking of which, Berggren. I want to talk about Berggren because he is way too good to be in the AHL. Like, people, I know it's a beat-down topic, but he is way, way too good to be in the AHL right now. He has been dominating the AHL. Him and Edvinson have been. Have been. I think Edvinson's out with injury right now. But, uh, yeah, having Berggren in the AHL was a surprise to me this season because he played so well last season that you couldn't help but think, okay, this kid is go- this kid has to be on the team this year, right? There's no reason he shouldn't be. And that, it's right. You, there's no reason he shouldn't be on this team right now. Realistically, I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't be on this team. And it is a self-inflicted problem. Uh, Eisman went out and did sign more guys than we probably needed. But I guess at the end of the day, both the Griffins and the Red Wings are playing good to great hockey. And they're doing, they're playing, like, they're just playing well. They're both looking to make playoff pushes. And they're both looking to make the playoffs. So I do believe, Bear, with all my heart, Berggren should be in the NHL. And at this point, like, I love the sport too much that whether it's with the Red Wings or not with the Red Wings, like, send him over to Anaheim or something, I don't care. One way or another, this kid's got to be in the NHL. Just, he has to be. He's too good to be in the AHL. And it, as a fan of hockey, that's not something I want to see. There's no reason that talent should not be showcased in the best league in the world. Um... But other Griffin's news, Nolan Stevens was put on unconditional waivers for the purpose of termination. I don't know anything about it. That just came out like randomly. But uh, Nolan Stevens, he was signed earlier this year to a league minimum contract, two-way deal. Um, and he's just kind of there on the Griffins. I haven't seen anything really from him. He just seems like, like I said, he's just kind of there. But... Yeah, Nolan Stevens fans, I'm sorry, but he's gone. Um, But with that being said, we're going to get into some of the more spicy topics. And that is some NHL news. And the big one on today's news cycle is uh, the Morgan Riley hit on uh, Ridley Greig. Greg, I think it's Greg, uh, in their game, in the Toronto-Ottawa game last night. Oh boy, was that a fucking hit. Jesus Christ. Now, I've seen a lot of people talking about this two different, completely different ways, and we're going to get into all of them. But what I, my side of, and my view of it is if you, like, it was, I, I love what Greek, Ridley Greek did. Honestly, I do. Um, 
Steve Daniel put it great. He, he said it pretty well in that Ridley Grigg did what he was supposed to do, and that was entertain the fans that were there. And he was there to entertain his fans, uh, the fans of the Senators, I should say. And that's what he did. And it was fantastic. It was some rock star shit. Um, <coughs> sorry. And if you guys have been living under a rock and you don't know, then uh, Ridley Grieg, uh, it was the final few, like final minute or so of their game against Toronto. Uh, he got a breakaway on an empty net. He went in, took a full on clapper to to the empty net, scored. And Morgan Riley, because it hurt his feelings or some shit, went and just cross-checked him in the face. Like, full-blown, full extension, cross-checked to the face, into the glass. And, like, while I understand you've got a... Like, Ridley Grieg had to have known that after that he was going to have to answer in some way, shape, or form. But in no way did I think that should have, do I think that should have been a full-on two-handed cross-check to the side of the dude's face? Like, there is no reason whatsoever that that should have happened. And it's indicative of the entire Leafs and Ottawa organizations, essentially, in that, you know, Ottawa's gaining a reputation of being pests. They're gaining a reputation of being goons and whatnot. And this fit with their brand. I mean, I, I, can't say that I don't like it because I like what Greg did and I like I also like what Riley did. Now, he did it in the wrong way, mind you. I will never be a fan of headshots um and I will never advocate for headshots, but Riley Morgan Riley did what any good NHL player that cares about their franchise or the team that they're on should. And that is when somebody does something like that, they have to answer the bell or you make them answer the bell. And so if you like it's it's a situation and then I've seen a lot of people talk about the code. The code, the guy the code is stupid. I've seen some people saying that the code is just a uh, an excuse to what was it an excuse to, for allowing the toxic hockey culture. It's like no, the code is there for very specific reasons. You will always have players that are goons, that are pests, that think they can get away with anything. And the code is essentially, coming from a hockey player, the code is essentially if one team does something against a team that is considered taboo, i.e., like just for an exa- just for examples, taking a shot at your goaltender after the whistle goes, like taking a shot, shooting the puck at your tender or at your net after the whistle goes, um, taking a slap, sh- full, sh- full on clapper from the hash marks on an empty net, or running one of your star players from behind into the board, stuff like that. The code is when the code is basically when stuff like that happens, you are obliged to stand up for it. You are obliged to not take that stuff lying down. Now, can you take that stuff lying down? Yes, you're gonna look soft as hell, but you don't have to necessarily do that. Um, but it's been a theme in hockey for Lord knows how long. I'm a fan of violence. I'm a fan of the code. And people saying that the code is just an excuse for the toxic hockey culture. No, I mean, yes, there is such a thing as toxic hockey culture, but it's a completely different thing. Toxic hockey culture, in my opinion, are 
people who are okay with that stuff, like, who are okay with the pest and the goon stuff. Um, like, like in this instance, I've seen many, many a Toronto fan, because of course it was Toronto fans, saying that none of this should have been a penalty, it shouldn't have been a penalty, Riley shouldn't get any suspension, stuff like that, because of, because, you know, Greg shouldn't have done that. And while I valiantly disagree Greg shouldn't have done that, I think he 100% should have done that, because it's funny as hell, it's a situation in where there's a difference between, and people are using, are justifying, like, you can't do that and not expect uh, anything in, any retaliation in return. No, of course, I don't think Greg did that and didn't expect any retaliation, but I don't think he expected a cross-check to the side of the head. Like I said that earlier, there is there is no reason why that should, why that should be a reason to cross-check somebody in the side of the head. There shouldn't be any reason to cross-check somebody in the side of the head. Um, and one of the funniest things that came out of it was that, you know, Sportsnet is very much Toronto bias. Like they've got a bias, uh, for Toronto, but they can't make it, they can't say that outwardly because they are supposed to be seen as a kind of not like, I guess, air quotes, independent source, but it's, I mean, even like Steve Dangle straight up said it after he left Sportsnet that almost everybody that works there is our leaf guys. So it's, it, it was wild to look, look, watch the clips on their panel after the game where people where guys were saying that uh, it was deserved or it was the appropriate, like, I mean, shit, Sheldon Keefe straight up said it was the appropriate response. And then they brought up something interesting where they were talking about the suspension that he may get. And somebody mentioned that they, that he could see them, see him getting five to six games. And then like half the panel immediately went up in arms saying, what, five or six games for a guy with no history of this stuff, no past of this stuff. And it got me thinking like, yeah, that like it happened with Perron and there are two completely different circumstances, but the outcome is the same. Like both instances involved a basically charged cross check to the face and both guys have no priors. Like, Perron had an incredibly clean history, and he still got six games. Uh, Riley, while he has an incredibly clean history, he should get at least six games. And it's understand like, and like I said, two different uh, situations. Because on one hand, Perron seen his captain knocked the fuck out on the ice and seen one guy standing above him. Now, unfortunately, that was the wrong guy. But when you you can't tell me that if you're a player on a just any hockey team and you see your captain, like you're not facing the uh, your, your captain and like you're going for the puck, puck battle, whatever. One moment he's standing up, you turn around, do whatever you were doing, turn back around, and he's sprawled out on the ice, knocked out. You're not going, or you can't tell me you're not going to do something about it. Now, like I said, unfortunately, Prawn went about it the wrong way. A, he went after the wrong guy, and B, he straight up, no hesitation, cross-checked him right in the face. But also, it's, 
you know, it was a, he was seeing red moments. He seen his captain knocked out and he just didn't, he just wasn't thinking essentially to where in the other option, Morgan Riley did it because his feelings were hurt. That's, that's essentially what it boils down to. Like, I agree that Morgan Riley should have done something, but he went about it the very wrong way. And it's no different than the Perron hit, except this one was, you know, like I said, different circumstances. Perron saw his captain knocked out. Riley had his fees hurt. So, two, they like, they literally talked about that 10 seconds before saying that Morgan Riley shouldn't get a five, six game suspension. Now, it has come out since that Morgan Riley's been offered an in-person hearing and he's going to appear, uh, he's going to have a hearing in the NHL's New York offices, I believe it was, and that means that his suspension will be minimum five games. So, it's great that the Department of Player Safety is finally using uh, priors of priors uh, inc- prior incidences to measure what t- players should get for similar instances, uh, similar incidences, incidences. I think that's a word. I don't care. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the reaction from Leafs fans and Ottawa fans were two very different as well. Like I'd never seen myself siding with Ottawa fans, but yeah, this was pretty bad. And at the end of the day, like it's stupid. <laughs> Like, it's stupid. Like, the code's stupid. We all know the code's stupid. Is it an important part of the game at this point? Yes, but it doesn't make it less stupid. Hockey's a stupid sport in general, played by stupid people, and that's why we all love it. Like, you you have to be some sort of, like, everybody who plays hockey is some, has some form of manic in them, no matter how small, because there's no way a completely sane person decides at the, some point in their life, hey, let's. I want to put on knife shoes and skate 30, 40 miles per hour on a sheet of ice and get and have people run into me at that speed and run into people at that speed. Like, hell, peop, like blocking shots. Shots go up to 100 plus miles an hour. You're telling me that a completely sane person would willingly jump in front of a 95 mile per hour piece of hardened rubber? No. No chance in hell. So it's it's just a wild situation and like I said, I th- I it was rock star shit from Greg. I have I I can't help but like what he did, especially cuz it was against the Maple Leafs, which is always a good thing. But I can't help but like that Morgan Riley responded to it as well because Toronto has a reputation for being soft, and they are still very soft. But Morgan Riley responding to that means that there is at least one person on the team that won't take things, won't take shit lying down. So, yeah, and another funny thing, and it was the Wingfield podcast that because I'm recording this after they posted their stuff, obviously. Um, but not maybe not obviously, but like it's I don't record this stuff until like nine thirty, ten o'clock because I'm a busy man. But yeah, it, they they talked about this briefly, where it's indicative. It was another indicative of the Toronto Maple Leafs being soft because after that hit, 
the when the line scrum ensued afterwards, the entirety of Ottawa's play, the entirety of the Ottawa line that was on the ice at the time jumped in to protect their guy to where if you watched Matthews, Marner, and Tavares were all not in the pile. Like, Matthews and Tavares were tied up with guys outside of the pile, and Marner skated in. He could have... He could have. There were two senators on the outside of the initial bubble that was ganging up on Morgan Riley, and he just skated in, stood there like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Like, I get it. You don't want your stars getting into fights, getting hurt, stuff like that. But... You also can't have, like, that's your captain and your two assistants, like, alternate captains, that are just standing there watching. Like, you, you that can't happen. And I know we all, like, it's, it's a try, it's a thing that Detroit fans have been talking about and arguing about for the last few years now, and that's, you know, when Detroit gets into scrums, for the longest time, who were the first people that jumped into those scrums when they were on the ice? Dylan Larkin, Lucas Raymond, Mo Sider, and I mean, hell, Alex Dabrinkit already has two fights this season. Like, it's... It, you don't want your stars fighting and jumping into scrums like that, but at the same time, you don't want them to look... You don't want them to look soft. You don't want them to look like you can just... Whenever you're out on the ice, you can pick on the players that are out there and they won't do anything about it. So that's like, and it was one of the things that the Maple Leafs prided themselves on and touted out at the beginning of the season. They're going to have more grit, more snot. They're going to be tougher to play against. And like you brought in Ryan Reeves and signed him to like a 4 million three year deal. Like it's, and what has that done? It's done fucking nothing. Like, Ryan Reeves has had, what, two fights this season and has done jack shit since. Um, like, we, it's it's just an incredible situation over in Toronto. And you can't have that look, especially not when you're battling for a playoff spot. Because they're right there on the cusp of losing a playoff spot. Like, one or two more losses for Toronto and one or two more wins for the Islanders. Toronto could very well be looking out being out of the playoffs looking in like that is a very real scenario so i'm i that's that's just my take on it um i do like i said i it's it's an interest it's a very difficult thing to grasp not very difficult but like it's a complex thing to grasp because on one hand yes i like that greg did it but at the same time he probably shouldn't have done it um, or at the very least, if he was going to do it, he should have been prepared for anything. And then on the other hand, you've got Morgan Riley, who took exception to that and stood up for his team in that way, which is great, but he cross-checked dude in the face. So I'm, uh, my guess is that Morgan Riley's, I mean, he's going to get at least five games because it's an in-person hearing. My guess is that he'll probably get six. There is a potential for a hair more, like one more game because of the situation like it was like the last two minutes of the game and it was an empty netter there was no instigation there was nothing so he might get another game just for that but yeah that's my take on it um also uh 
with that, there is the uh, talks about Arizona relocating. This We're getting into the stuff that I missed last uh, episode because I ran out of time. But uh, Arizona has looking more and more and more like they are going to relocate. Now, this is the last I'm going to talk about Arizona. Um, first and last time, I guess, that I'm going to talk about Arizona that doesn't involve something on ice happening. Or the announcement that they have land and they're going to build an arena or that they're relocating. So basically, Marty Walsh, head of the NHLPA, he just ripped in to the Arizona Coyotes during a meeting um, with, I think it was an owner's meeting or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but he ripped into the Coyotes and it was a lot of talks about, you know, they there was a lot of talk. Like, they've had two deadlines that they hadn't met with getting this land situation. Um, they put they originally put in a bid for uh, 200 acres of land where they were going to build an arena. And when the estimate came out with how much it was going to be, they couldn't afford it. So... They, I believe there was a report that they were going to bid on a 100, 100 acres. Um, I don't know if that came true or if that was just a speculation. Um, but yeah, Arizona is a wild thing. I think at this point, like even Gary Bettman, he's not going to come out right out and say it because that'll have ramifications and Gary Bettman's a lawyer at the end of the day, but G- Gary Bettman has had has made it subtly known that he is running out of patience with the Coyotes. And a lot of that had to do with the owner of the Utah Jazz, um, their company or whatever it was, putting out a statement saying that they are interested in a hockey team. And more so, they have a viable arena for a team right now and have plans to make an arena for them in the future already already planned so you've got a stable owner with plans to who already has an arena that the team can play in and has plans to develop an arena for them for to be their permanent home and so it's the pressure is really on the coyotes organization now and ownership to figure out what's going to happen and i think they have like they're playing in a college arena right now and they're the second team on that list. Like, they are the second. They're not even the first occupants. They're the second. So, they got to figure something out or else it's bye-bye Coyotes. And I feel for Coyotes fans because they didn't deserve it. Like, this team was screwed almost from the start. They almost had an Atlanta Thrashers uh, history, essentially, of poor own Like, just an Atlanta team actually, because it was the Thrashers and the Flames that became Calgary and Winnipeg. But they it's almost kind of the same history. Incompetent ownership leading to a poor on-ice quality, a poor on-ice quality hockey, and that led to people not being interested. And what's I'm I'm an I'm an Arizona guy. They are my favorite team in the West. Um but yeah, it's it's gotten to the point even for guys like me where it's like, all right, you guys can't continue. Like you can't even fill up a college arena right now 
that you're the second lease on, like you're the second occupants on. So they got to figure something out. And unfortunately, I think it is in the, I think it is in the best interest of a relocation. I think that's the direction it's going. And I think that's going to be best for the NHL um, money wise. And just overall, uh, just overall quality wise for the players as well. Cause the big reason why the NHLPA had problems with it and straight up Marty Walsh called them out was because, I mean, the NHLPA obviously is the players uh, associate NHL players association or basically the players union. And so they go to bat for the players and the situation in Arizona is not good for the players. Now, I mean, does that mean Arizona is mistreating the players? No, they're all getting paid really well. Like Clayton Keller is getting paid like six or seven million or something like that. Like they're millionaires. So it's not like they're being mistreated, but it's not fair to the players to have such an unstable future, like an uncertain future. And the quicker it gets figured out, the better for them it is. Because I can't imagine being on the Coyotes right now where last season you bid on a you had a um a vote to you sponsored a vote to have this big district uh like entertainment district in the city which involved an arena that you guys would play in but they didn't put in enough money to do anything to make a big push for it. They put in less money than their opponents and it wasn't even close. So it's it, it's indicative of their ownership. Uh, like it's clear that their ownership either doesn't care or they care, but they are too incompetent to know how to get them out of this hole. So I don't know what's like, I, like I said, I just think that relocation is the best course of action for the NHL and the Coyotes having stable ownership with an actual arena to play in, and then in future having a home arena just seems like the best choice to everybody. Plus, the relocation would happen in Salt Lake City, likely, so you wouldn't have to reorganize any of the conferences, and it'll just be a good move for everybody involved, essentially. So, um... With that, I'm done with the Arizona talk unless something on ice happens or that comes out that they are officially relocating or they've figured out a plot. They got land to build an arena, stuff like that. That is the last that I'm going to talk about it because now we're going to talk about something else that came out last week. I think it was last week or the week before. I can't remember, but I didn't talk about it yet. So uh, the NHL has officially announced that the they will be allowing they will be sending players to the Olympics in 2026 and 2030. Um, This has been something that the players have wanted for a while. Uh, They've wanted to go back to the Olympics, and it makes sense. You know, you've got the best teams, you got the best players in the entire world at your disposal, but at this point, they're really only accessible to North America. And that, like, obviously people are watching in Sweden and Europe and stuff like that, because hockey's fairly big over there. But you you want a best on best, and what better place to have a best on best than the Olympics, the biggest sports stage in the world? Um, so it's definitely a big thing for the players, and 
it's wild to think because just the amount of talent that's on each team, like it's not like there were like obviously in years past there were like three or four teams that dominated the Olympics, that being the US, Canada, Russia, and then like Sweden or Finland would jump in there. But and obviously this stuff to figure out because as of right now, I believe Russia's banned from the Olympics still due to their invasion of Ukraine. So that sucks because a lot of the best players in the league right now are Russian, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Sorokin, um, uh, Svechnikov. You know, there's a lot of really good players. Some of the best players in the league are Russian. And I don't even know if I said Svechnikov. I don't even know if Svechnikov is Russian or if he's even one of the best players. That was just a name that came to me. Um, but yeah, you've got a lot, like you got a lot of good Russian players and it'd be unfortunate if they can't compete, but at the end of the day, there's no control over it. So I can't wait to see the NHL players back in the Olympics because what better way to show off your, because think about it. You got the best talent in the world, right? Okay. Well, who were the poster boys of your league for the, for the best league and most talented league in the world? Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, um, now Connor Bedard. Then you've got obviously when the U.S. as the U.S. as far as the U.S. goes, uh, you got Matthew and Brady Kachuk. They're high up there. Uh, you could make an argument for Dylan Larkin, Alex DeBrinket. Like you can, like Stamkos. I'm pretty sure is American. Um, so yeah, you've got a lot of high end talent just in the United States and Canada. And that's not even talking about the upcoming, uh, the upcoming German hockey. Like German hockey is exploding right now, and it's showing in the league right now because the three best Germans in the league right now are Drysaitel, Stutzla, and Cider. And Drysaitel is arguably the second best player in the world. So it's in, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that comes together and who's going to be picked to go there and how the league will navigate through it because you got to once the olympics are going on you've got to and you send your team your players there you've got to shut down like stop the league essentially uh, for lack of a better back of a letter lack of a better word um and not have there be any games for like a week or so so, from what I've seen, they plan on doing away with the All-Star Game uh, in 2026 in replacement for uh, in replacement for the Olympics. So, it's definitely going to be fun to see them. And like I said, it's going to be fun to see NHL players back in the Olympics. Best on best hockey is so much fun. Uh, which brings me to the next version of this, which is the NHL's Four Nations Cup. Or, yeah, Four Nations Cup, something like that. Uh, basically, obviously, I'm sure everybody knows about this. And uh, I believe it's next season they're going to do it. Uh, the Four Nations Cup is going to be a four-team tournament against... It's going to be the best of... Uh, who was it? United States, Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Which is unfortunate because there's a lot of European hockey that has a lot of good players in the league. Like I said, Germany with Seider, Stutzla, and Dreisaitl. Um, the Swiss have some solid players. Obviously, you've got Czechia. Latvia's got some solid guys. 
um, hell, Russia even, obviously Russia. So it's 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 disappointing to see that it's only four, but it's definitely a good start. Um, obviously, this is likely just going to be a trial run, essentially, I think is how the league is looking at it, of how they could how it's going to work and what the possible expansion is going to be as the league grows. So I'm looking forward to it. I definitely can't wait to see the, I, like it's, it, it's just going to be fun because if you look at the teams as a whole, Canada's definitely got every team beat with offense. United States is definitely the most well-rounded team in the entire world. And then you've got Sweden and Finland who have solid pieces and it's they like they've got some of the best defensemen in the entire league so it's definitely going to be fun to watch and the teams are going to be powerhouses so one thing that's come up a lot though is Canada's goaltending Canada's goaltending there's not a lot of good goaltenders um and they lost who was likely going to be their best shot at it in Carter Hart because of the Canada team Canada scandal. Uh, Carter Hart was likely going had probably had the best shot out of all Canadian goalies in the league to be the starter in that tournament, but that's fucked up because he's fucked up. So it's going to be interesting to see how it happens. But like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, and with that, that's all I've got for you guys today. So I do hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Red, Orange, or Blue podcast. I was and still am your host, the Mexinadian. You can follow me at the underscore Mexinadian on Twitter. And also don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at R-O-R-B pod or just look up the Red, Orange, or Blue podcast. You can vote on who our next prospect report is going to be and uh, get constant updates of the podcast and what's happening. So thank you guys so much for watching and or listening. Probably just listening because I don't have a video of this yet yet um so thank you guys for listening and i will see you guys next time adios welcome to my party we're just getting started a life is a